You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 641. Through every generation of the human race, there has always been a constant war. A war with fear. Alexander the Great. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Have you ever wanted to learn from a Hollywood blockbuster screenwriter or even an Oscar winner? Well, I wanted to put together a free three-day screenwriting video series taught by legendary screenwriters David Goyer, from, who wrote The Dark Knight, Nia Valdouras, who wrote The Big Fat Greek Wedding, Oscar-winning Callie Corey, who wrote Thelma and Louise, and Oscar-winner Paul Haggis, who wrote Casino Royale. If you want access to this free class, head over to bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash free. Today's show is also sponsored by Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, how to turn your independent film into a profitable business. It's harder today than ever before for independent filmmakers to make money with their films, from predatory film distributors ripping them off to huckster film aggregators who prey upon them. The odds are stacked against the indie filmmaker. The old distribution model of making money with your film is broken and there needs to be a change. The future of independent filmmaking is the entrepreneurial filmmaker or the film entrepreneur. In Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, I break down how to actually make money with your film projects and show you how to turn your indie film into a profitable business. With case studies examining successes and failures, this book shows you the step-by-step method to turn your passion into a profitable career. If you're making a feature film, series, or any other kind of video content, the Film Entrepreneur method will set you up for success. The book is available in paperback, ebook, and of course, audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's filmbizbook.com. Well, guys, today we are in for an intense episode. Our guest is Jericho the Man, and Jericho is a military advisor on film sets and television shows. And I've never had someone like him on the show before because he's not just a filmmaker. He is a veteran and he's been in Afghanistan. He was there as the U.S. was exiting Afghanistan. He tells us stories about what happened there, how he was able to deal with PTSD using psychedelics. And and, and this is just such an interesting conversation, not only about the filmmaking side of his life, but about the military side of his life as well. You are in for an intense treat. So without any further ado, please enjoy my inspirational conversation with Jericho Demand. I'd like to welcome to the show, Jericho Deadman. How are you doing, Jericho? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Hey, man. Thanks for coming on, brother. You are, you are a unique guest to the show because uh, I've never had a, a filmmaker slash soldier slash media slash ayahuasca taker and, <laughs> and so many other things. You, you know, when, when, the, when, you're, when our, our mutual friend connected us, uh, I just, I just was fascinated by your story in general, man. And I have all sorts of questions for you. So, um, and by the way, the best quote, I think, uh, that pretty much sums you up, if I may be so bold, is one of your quotes, sir. Uh, I don't want to be rich or famous. I just want to be a fucking storyteller. Pretty yeah. much sums it all up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've told some stories and I'm pretty far from being rich or famous. So, <laughs> going well. <laughs> So then you're you're right on track, sir. You're right on your mission. You're right on mission. Um, so, I, so first question, man. How did you get involved in the military? How did you become an Army Ranger? All that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I got involved. I was I was an Army brat. So uh, I grew up in a military household. My dad served over twenty years. He's a Vietnam vet. Uh, Desert Storm, grenades, and a few wars. Um, so I just you know for me it was kind of normal. Um, he did want me to join the air force. So I got treated better than an army guy, but I, I, uh, <laughs> I pulled a fast one on him and I joined the army just like, just like he was in. Um, so yeah, you know, growing up in a military family, uh, it was kind of a, a natural pacing for me. Um, I was, you know, as a kid though, I was pretty artistic. I drew a lot, 
painted and stuff like that. My dad really wanted me to go to art school. So I always did. I, I was always very creative. Um, but I also wanted to, to go in the military. I wanted to get some adventure. I wanted to get out of my parents' house. I hated school. Um, so it was just the natural progression. It was either, you know, be a, be Jeremiah Johnson living in the mountains or join the military. So I chose, I chose the military. <laughs> and then, uh, my brother also joined the military. Um, and we both, you know, kind of went down the ranger track, uh, just, it, it, I'm not sure how familiar you are, but you know, uh, not, the, ranger, never. the ranger community, the ranger regiment is, is basically the only special operations unit at that time. You know, I joined in the late nineties. Um, it was the only special operations unit you could go to or, or assess and select for off the street. So back then, at least when I went to the Navy recruiter, you couldn't get a buds or a seal contract, right? You had to join the Navy with some other job that they had assigned you and then just hope that you were able to get to buds or, or assess for the seal teams. Um, same with the air force, same with, uh, the Marine Corps, um, all those other branches basically said, Hey, you can come and be a cool guy, but you have to sign up for this and hope that we accept you into the selection process. Whereas to become a ranger, you walk in off the street and say, Hey, I want a ranger contract, which doesn't guarantee you're going to become a ranger, but it does guarantee that you will be given the opportunity to assess and select or assess and be selected. So that was the reason that basically the whole reason I became an army ranger is because it was the only one you could sign up to go directly to the selection. So what, I mean, I've heard, I mean, obviously the SEALs is a legendary um, selection process. It's been talked about a lot, but I don't know a lot about the Rangers, which I hear is no joke. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, all, all those selections are, you know, they're similar. They just, they choose different things by which to torture you with. And, and they, you know, every selection process in the military or in the special operations community it's just a series of gates through which you have to pass before you, you, you know, you can call yourself whatever that may be. And, uh, you know, in, in buds, they use a lot of like maritime stuff, swimming and, 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 you know, Zodiac rafts and all these, all these things, physical things, but most of them having to do with the water. Whereas, you know, the, the selection pipeline for the Ranger regiment is, um, you know, it's very ground-based. It's a, it's a, the Ranger Regiment is known as the most elite light infantry in the world. So mm-hmm. every gate we pass through is an assessment in your skills in that, in that environment, right? So um, you go through, so when I went in, you, you, go to, you join the Army, you go through basic training as an infantryman. Um, you go to airborne school, jump school, where you learn how to jump out of a plane, which is, it's like a little break, honestly. It's uh, not, not a hard school. And then you go to a thing that is now called RASP, the Ranger Assessment and Selection Program. Um, it's an eight-week course, and it's just physical and um, you know academic tests that test your metal in you know doing ground combat, right? So patrolling um, in the woods, doing raids, recon, ambush, um, and then just like physical things, ruck marches, runs, you know, PT events. Um, and one of the big differences in being a ranger and being in, in a couple of these other units is um, in the regiment we have, I'll refer to it as the regiment because, you know, it is. <laughs> and, uh, but at the end of that process, you basically, you're assigned to a ranger battalion. Um, but a difference with us is once you're assigned to the ranger battalion, that's when we say, okay, you're through RASP. Now the hard part starts, right? So you get placed in kind of a, an unofficial probationary status, um, much like a, you know, a probationary firefighter, their first year on the job, they do anything wrong. They're gone. Right. So you have that same kind of environment as a new guy in the Ranger regiment. And then there's this kind of a confusing thing for a lot of people. Um, you go to, you then go to Ranger school, right. Um, which is a, school run by the training detachment of the u.s army it's a it's an army school it isn't necessarily a special operations course it's it's very old school but it's another gate right and in order to become a leader or really to survive past a year in the ranger regiment you have to complete ranger school Mm -hmm. Uh, so all in you know your pipeline is is around a year and a half um from 
off the street to then getting there and being like, okay, I am a, an established ranger. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Um, so, you know, ranger school is, it's mainly, it's a leadership course. Um, that's what they say, but Hmm. they basically don't let you sleep and they don't let you eat and they have you patrol for, you know, two and a half months, um, constant raid, recon, ambush patrols throughout carrying about a hundred pound rucksack in three different phases. You do your first phase, Fort Benning, Georgia, um, which is just kind of like run of the mill woods. And then you go to mountain phase, which is, uh, in Dahlonega, North Georgia, which is, uh, the base of the, uh, Appalachian trail. So pretty, pretty legit mountains there. You do patrols there and then you go to Florida and you do what's called like Florida phase or swamp phase. And you're in the swamps for the last, uh, last little bit there. And then hopefully you graduate and you, you know, you can get recycled, dropped, all those things. So it lasts anywhere from about two and a half months to if you're just not a lucky fellow, you can be there for, you know, a long time. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's just like filmmaking, but different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, it's, uh, I, I found a lot of parallels in the, in the film community. I think you're making a joke, but I, it, um, no, it, I know, I know there is. I mean, I've been yeah, a director a for parallels. almost 30 years. So I, it's always, I always looked at it as very much like a, like a military unit, even though I'd never been in the military, but from, from watching and understanding and just studying what that's like, you know, seeing just movies, you just go, Oh, this, Seems like yeah. a group of guys or a group of people trying to make something happen, different departments, central leadership, and, and then there's sub leaderships all around and you just got to keep yeah. going. And it's, and it's, you just move into an area <laughs> that yeah. wasn't there before, generally Occ- speaking. Occupy by force. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You'd be, I always say we're carnies we just put up tents, we should do a show and then the car, you pull the tents down and then you're off because I don't know about you. If, if you've met any people in the industry, they're very carny like. <laughs> Yeah, it's. A, I mean, and that's one of the things that attracted me to the film industry too. Is it's a very kind of a nomadic lifestyle. Like you're not nomadic in the sense that you don't have a home, but like you get to go all over the place. You know, you get to go oh, see. Yeah. You know, I don't know a lot of other things. Where you're like, oh, I'm gonna go live in New Orleans for three months. You know, it's great. I think it's awesome. Or I'm going to New Zealand for six months or a year. I'm like, yeah, things like yeah. that. Yeah, it is a very it's a sexy business uh, <laughs> on the outside. In the inside, not so much. <laughs> So the one thing I, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions about military and soldiers and, you know, and and especially in the world that we live in today, what's the biggest misconception uh, that you, you feel that people have of military, of soldiers, of, of, you know, people, you know, going out there and doing their job? Uh, Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Uh, The biggest misconceptions I'd say is just it's kind of like how society in general is right now, right? Like as a veteran, I, I, I find myself either completely lionized, like, Oh man, you're, you, if you fart, it doesn't stink to, you know, <laughs> to being completely demonized. Like, Oh man, that guy's probably got PTSD. He's probably crazy. You know, that type mm-hmm. of thing. So it's just that I I'd say that the, the biggest, you know, misconception is like, we're not Jason Bourne, you know? <laughs> But, but we're also not Travis Bickle, you know, um, right. like the, we live in the middle there somewhere. Right. Basically, yeah, exactly. Cause uh, movies have uh, not helped the, the stereotype. Uh, they used to, they go to the extreme. Most movies. Exactly. I mean, other than okay. full metal jacket. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, I, I think within my community, a thing I, I often battle with is like, I volunteered. I really enjoyed my time in the military. I, I loved it. I, I I liked deploying. I liked doing missions. I liked I liked it. Um, so was there was there some degree of sacrifice? Absolutely, but they're they're ones that I chose, you know, like, yeah, I missed a bunch of birthdays and I didn't do this and that, but I also got to do some really, really, really cool stuff that not a lot of get people get to do. And you get to play with some uh pretty, pretty gnarly toys. Yeah, yeah, that too. I'm <laughs> I've, I've never really been a gun guy or a gear guy or whatever. I just like, kind of like whatever they give me out of the armory, I'll, I'll take it and use it. And, but there are a lot of, there are a lot of people in the military that they're really into that. So like every day they come to work, they're like, Oh, this is awesome. I get to have this, you know, widget or this, 
rocket or this whatever. And I was like, oh, whatever, man. It's just Wednesday to me, you know? <laughs> now, you and you said you enjoyed your time in the military. Apparently you did because you had, is it 54 months of combat? Yeah, that's correct. That's, yeah. that's what is it, 15 tours? Yeah, 15 tours. So in 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 the regiment, you know, we were part of the special operations community. So our deployments weren't as long. So a conventional army unit usually would deploy 12 to 15 months for a deployment. Um, mm -hmm. But just because of our op tempo, our operational tempo, we were like hit it so hard and did so much. Our deployments were generally shorter. So my, you know, deployments, those of those 15, those were anywhere from like 60 to 180 days each. They weren't years long, but when you add them all up, it's, yeah, they're about four and a half years or however long that is, 54 months. So, you know, being in the military as long as you have and seeing as much combat as you have, what do you think is the mentality that you need to have in order to survive that kind of, you know, that kind of not trauma, but just that whole, that whole thing. I mean, there's a special kind of human that goes into that. Like I, I can't comprehend going into that, even though I'm a filmmaker, I can pretend it, but like, it's, a, there's a certain mindset. There's a certain mentality that, that you need to have. What do you, what's your experience and what do you think it is? Um, it's a, another good question. <laughs> um, it's almost like you do this for a living. It's not, it's not my first rodeo, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, yeah. The, uh, I think, I think it's finding whatever your motivation is and it's different for everyone. Um, you know, for me, uh, it, it, as corny as it sounds for me, it was, it was service. Um, yeah. not so much a grandiose service to our nation. Um, while that did come in, you know, as a youngster, but for me, it was in a, and these are all cliches, but cliches come from somewhere. Um, it was service to the people with me. Um, I, I, I never wanted to, you know, punch out and then, you know, find out on the next deployment, one of my friends got hurt or killed. Um, so it was, it was kind of a, you know, almost a selfish act. Uh, it's like a FOMO kind of thing. You know, you get on these deployments, you start, you know, stacking up accolades, you start to develop a reputation and, and you just, you just want to keep, you know, feeding the beast. Um, it can also be a bit of an addiction. Um, yeah. So while it, I was, well, I would love to say it was like, oh man, I really like, I, it was, it was 50% motivation to do it again and 50% fear of missing out on the next one. That's a, that's a really interesting way. Cause I've heard that from, from, you know, other military people I've seen that it's just kind of like, it's an adrenaline rush. Like you, you're on, on like a high, an adrenaline high all the time. Like you can't rest when you're on deployment almost to a certain extent, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, now we're finding there's like a lot of physiological effects of that. <laughs> you think that environment <laughs> we were in, you know, like just the hypervigilance and, you know, um, a lot of hormonal things that have, that have happened to guys just because it takes, you know, it takes a long time to unpack that and like reverse the effects of that. But absolutely you're, you're, you're in that environment all the time. And you're just like, you, you kind of need it. Um, after a while it's, yeah, it's almost like a, yeah, it's, it's from what I hear and from what I've heard that a lot of soldiers that have been out into deployment. They say, look, I'm, I'm not fighting for my country. I'm fighting for my brother next to me. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's basically because, you know, there's the macro and then there's the micro of what you're fighting for. And you're like, right now, I can't think of the macro. I'm thinking about like, these guys next to me, this, this, my unit. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, you, you also really don't have time to think about like the macro, you know, at, <laughs> at, at, at kind of the tactical level, like, okay, we're going to go out and raid this house or raid this place. Like you're, you're not gonna be like, Oh, actually, should we like our, you, know, <laughs> you don't have time for that. Um, so it, it does, you, you, you really circle the wagons with the group you're with and, and do the best job you can and, and hope that it, it's all chipping away at the great, the greater good. Um, mm -hmm. but it doesn't. So whatever. <laughs> fair enough. Now, it, you know, from, from my research on you, I did hear that you, uh, you took ayahuasca. Now I, I have been fascinated with that, that stuff. I haven't taken any, nor do I plan on taking it. But I'm always I always love asking people what they saw, because from what I understand, it is not only trippy, 
but it's like, and I've gotten deep into the psilocybin and all of that stuff that it's kind of in the similar peyote uh, and all that stuff. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. It opens up doorways in your mind that you can't even comprehend. I'd love to hear straight from the horse's mouth. No pun intended. Sorry. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Yeah. If I were to describe it, it's indescribable. Um, but you know, I've had a few years now to sit with it and I do, I do a lot of work with plant medicine and with, with psychedelics in general. I think they're really, really good when done intentionally. Um, I think there are a lot of people that are running from their problems with them, but mm -hmm. when done with intention, um, you know, not only the, the spiritual changes in myself, but also the physiological changes that can be proven through science. Yeah, um, yeah. You, you can't argue with it. Um, but as far as things I saw, like the big takeaway for me and, and the thing that I think I will say openly that like, I think ayahuasca saved my life, not in that I was going to go kill myself. Um, but I was just miserable as, as just a miserable person. I couldn't experience happiness. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't meaning, I couldn't connect with people in a meaningful way. Um, but I can now. And I, I, I credit ayahuasca with that. And, and what it really did for me, the thing that I can like really take out of it is <clears throat> that it put me into such amazingly dark places, like fear and terror and, and just bad stuff, indescribably bad, like really feeling that and then being able to pull myself out of it in my own mind gave me back the power to feel how I want to feel, if that makes sense. Um, oh, it makes all it makes all the sense in the world. It, it seems like it's from what I've heard, it just like it does open up different your consciousness opens up it. Like if your consciousness is normally this way, you have a window of opportunity of maybe a few hours like a few hours, if I'm not mistaken, like this. And it's a lot that comes in and it's all personalized. It's not like everyone we're all going to McDonald's. No, everyone has their own own yeah. experience in that time period. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, like when you, when you talk about it being indescribable, it's like, you know, there was no sense of time, no sense of space, absolute, just being in, not even being, it's just, it's, it's very hard to explain, but it, it, again, it, once you, once you're in there and your mind can kind of like navigate your way out, it, it gives you this power again to, you know, I still, I still get in bad moods. I'm still sad. I'm still angry, but now I'm like, okay, I'm feeling angry. Is this like a, is this a, a logical response to what's going on right now? Yes, it is. Okay. Okay, good. You know, whereas before, you know, I would put myself in a loop of like anger and depression and anger and depression. Um, and I'm able to kind of pull myself out of that now. So it's kind of like it 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 almost simulates the darkest parts of your soul in, in many ways and allows you to figure your way back out of that. So it's almost a training in yeah. a, in a virtual environment. It's almost like you know, virtual VR training of the soul. <laughs> and then you come that's, back out and you're like, is that good? good that's a very good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, one of the kind of physiological ways I've had it explained to me because it's a very spiritual experience, but I'm also like, I like to figure things out, you know? So <laughs> the way it's kind of been explained to me is, you know, when, when our, when our brains experience trauma, when we experience trauma, whether it's childhood or adult trauma, our brain is a, is a living being that figures out, okay, I'm going through this. I'm just going to like, you know, if, if there's a pathway between here and here, my brain just says, okay, I don't like it here. I'm going to go around this spot. Right. So then we will have these coping mechanisms for our traumas, whether it's, you know, not feeling safe as a kid or, or experiencing, you know, a, a blunt trauma of seeing something really bad. Our brain shuts off certain pathways. Mm -hmm. Those pathways, however, are very necessary for our brains to work and for us to be at our true top form self. So what ayahuasca does, or a lot of psychedelics do, is they go back in and they turn those pathways back on. But in doing so, we have to re-experience whatever level of trauma there was that made that turn off. Like the brain remembers and it puts us back through it. 
But then we come out and they're turned back on and we have a better brain for it. Sure. You're, it basically goes in and rewires you in, in many ways. It's kind of like the, the groove in the, in the record. There was a scratch. They went in and made that right out and made that connection again. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, I'm not a scientist or anything, but I like that way. But... <laughs> it's very scientific. That's, a, that's proven science, sir. Uh, <laughs> the record theory. Uh, so, um, but you mentioned something a few times in our conversation, the spirituality aspect of it. And, and I've heard that as well. What did you, you know, when you walked in, were you a very spiritual person or when you walked out, did you become more spiritual? Did you see something in there that just made sense to you? Because I've heard many different scenarios. Um, I wouldn't call myself spiritual. Um, I do, I do, hey, there's somebody up there pulling the strings on something, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I can't put my finger on it. I'm not a religious person. Never have been. I, have, I wasn't raised that way. You know, I do feel, I do feel a really strong bond to the earth, you know, I, I like with nature, um, with animals, but as far as I wouldn't describe myself as a spiritual person. Um, and I think if anything coming out of it, I, I feel a stronger bond at the Mac, like we're talking macro level, like to the universe. Like I, I absolutely right. think that we are a, speck in 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 something um so you know i feel like coming out of that i i, I was in some places whether it was in my mind only or, or not that are you know i recognize that there's a lot bigger of a there's an indescribably big something out there and um i can't ignore that uh anymore so it just made me universal rather than spiritual maybe i don't know been either either you mean you could say either one really because I mean spiritual has a connotation to it and understanding that there's your greater part of a larger universe is in many ways a spiritual a spiritual thing it just all depends on how you look at it and it sounds to me that it also kind of humbled you and humbled the ego a bit because when you say we are a speck that is diminishing the ego dramatically uh, yeah absolutely I mean there is. Whew. Yeah, no ego left coming out of that. Coming really? out of that. Ceremony. Beat the hell no. out of you, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I the the first ceremony, you know, you call them ceremonies. I did four. Sure. Um oh, you did four ceremonies? Yeah. Of course you did, because that's who you are. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm telling you that after coming out of that first one, I was like, I mean, just like bug eyes, like, I don't know how I'm gonna do that again. Like I was And you how 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 long of time did you have between? I did uh so I did four ceremonies. I did one one night, one the next night, took a day off, and then did two more. Yeah. You are a soldier, brother. I mean, that's a, that's a mentality. That's a, that's a military mentality to this thing. Like, you're like, I don't care. It's, it's, it almost killed me the first time. Screw it. I'm going back in. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've talked to, you know, I get a lot of questions from people in the, in the veteran community about ayahuasca. And I kind of tell people, the best time to go into it is if you've got nowhere else to go. It's, it's best to, to do it when you kind of feel like you are out of options. Uh, because I was able to, you know, with a lot of, a lot of turbulence, obviously, um, give into it and, and just say, Hey, like, here I am, like, you can kill me if you want to do whatever, but I am at your mercy. Basically you, you, you surrendered, which is not in your nature. Is right. a general statement, which is fascinating because you, as a soldier, you're not built to surrender. But in that environment, in the ayahuasca, it pushes you to a place where you like, I'm done. I ha and that's basically spirituality. And you, you give up. You like, fine, I, I, I just go, take me. <laughs> yeah. And and then that and then you come back from that, and it, man, it changes you forever. And I understand that so many uh, P PTSD. And traumas are being say are being like with one or two doses of psilocybin or peyote or ayahuasca, these kind of psychedelics are doing some really amazing things clinically. Like they're doing it clinically too. Yeah, there's there's people out there doing really, really amazing work with it. Um, there's a couple of, you know, veteran um nonprofits out there that are setting veterans up with uh with ceremonies, like very responsible ceremonies, you know. Right. Um there's there's a lot of there's a lot of weirdos out there, you know, like <laughs> ayahuasca in the basement in West Hollywood. Like that's not where you want to go. But I've, I've, I used to live in LA, sir. I understand exactly what you're talking about. I've, 
I've heard of these. Hey, man, we're going to go do ayahuasca in West Hollywood. I'm like, you let me know how that works out for you, brother. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Yeah. Because I don't want to go to ayahuasca and walk out into West Hollywood. <laughs> oh, man, that would be that would be. Intense. I'd much rather be in the jungle with a panther somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's funny. So speaking of Hollywood, you go, you've gone, you've lived a fairly exciting life. And then Hollywood comes a calling mm-hmm. and you get, you get caught up in this insanity that is Hollywood as a, as a military a specialist, right? A, a, a consultant, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell tech me advisor. a tech advisor. So tell me why <laughs> and how did you get in? Um, so I think the how became came before the why, um, which was I was, uh, you know, I was getting ready to retire. I was uh, working, teaching college ROTC in New York City. And a friend of a friend uh, who was a, uh, a Navy guy, SEAL team guy, which SEALs kind of have Hollywood, that market corner, right? It's no secret. <laughs> the tech advising thing. It's, it's, it's very SEAL heavy. Um, so Friend of a friend got called for a job, uh, tech advising on a limited series by Nat Geo called The Long Road Home. Um, that series was about army guys in Sadr City, Iraq, um, and just one major battle they had. So this Navy guy got the job call for the job, and he's like, I don't know anything about the army, and I'm not going to be a shithead and, and take a job that I really am not qualified for. So... He called another guy and was like, hey, you know, he, this other guy had worked in the, in the industry a little bit in like stunts and, and things like that and helped out um, on set, you know, being a PA here and there. So he knew the business a little bit, but he was also not necessarily a very experienced army guy. Um, so he, he called me and said, hey, um, they allowed him to have a second guy just for pre-pro, just for, you know, the table reads and the getting getting wardrobe getting props getting all that stuff together so he called me because he knew i was getting ready to retire he's like hey do you want to come check this out i know you were in solder city you're a really experienced guy you can help out i'll handle the movie stuff you just handle the army stuff i was like okay so i went and did it um did the pre-pro thing and they they liked my work so they said hey you can stay on for the run of the show so i stayed on for the run of the show doing tech advisor stuff and, you know, at this point I was retiring. I knew that I didn't know what I was going to do when I grew up. Um, <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'll kind of pursue this. So, um, you know, that Navy guy, his name's Raymond Doza. He's, uh, tech advised and produced on a lot of things. He just got done doing the run of show for, um, terminal list. Um, he's, he's got a great, you know, list of credits in that world. Um, so he's like, yeah, man, I'll, I'll kind of champion you into the, into the industry. Um, anytime I got a job, I'll bring you along and, and we'll be a team. So him and I just, you know, we worked several things kind of, we had a deal, like we called it, you, you eat what you kill. So we all went out and tried to, you know, you know, you know how it is trying to get jobs. Um, hustle, you hustle, you hustle. Yeah. You're on that hustle. So getting jobs and then you'd get a job and be like initial entry on the job. Like, Hey, I can't do this alone. I need to bring another guy. And if they're, you know, if the penny pinchers say, Hey, well, we only got room for one. We're like, all right. And you, it is what it is. So, you know, did that for a long time, like four years with Ray, you know, both of us on a project, him doing a project alone, me doing a project alone. Um, and you know, once I was into it, um, I guess the why comes is like, I really enjoyed it. It was like a really, because something I struggled with in my, you know, transition out of the military and the civilian world is how do I take all this knowledge I have? I'm like, you know, I retired as a master sergeant. I am a master of this craft. How do I take all that knowledge and use it? You know, I don't want that to be a waste. There are there are these intangible things of work ethic and leadership and, and, you know, these things that I've learned, but the actual skill set, the things that I am an absolute master of, how do I use those um, and not carry a gun anymore? Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> this was it. It was all right. I can be, I can be creative. 
I can be engaged and I can use these skills to like make art and to help people, you know, bring their visions to life. And I, I loved it. And I loved how, you know, a set, it works like a military unit. There are people who do X, Y, Z, they do those things, they perform or they don't work, you know, reputation carries you a long way in the industry. Um, mm -hmm. there were, there were a lot of different things that once I did it, I was like, I really like this. And that, that was, that was kind of my why it wasn't, I had to get into it to see it. But once I was there, it's like, oh, this is, this is what I want to do with my life. That's awesome, man. And, and it's, and you've worked on some pretty cool shows, uh, along the way without question. I have to ask though, cause I've, uh, I've been in the business for a few years and, uh, you know, uh, Hollywood actors, they could tend to be a little flaky sometimes, a little, little, little soft, uh, but they feel like they, 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 they pretend they forget that they're pretending to be a tough guy <laughs> until they run into a tough guy. So off the record, you don't have to say names. You don't have to say a show. Have you ever had to check somebody? <laughs> have you ever had to say, dude, you're going to hurt somebody. Shut the F, F up. Oh yeah. I mean, I <laughs> Yeah. And that's, that's like a lot. <laughs> that's one thing that's really good about Ray and I's relationship. I, I will tell, I, I'm like, Hey man, I don't fucking care if I get fired. Like you're not going to make me fucking look bad. You know, I don't like it, it is, it, you do take ownership of these projects. Like, you know, when, when a, a thing that I'm on comes out, I'm, I'm nervous because my friends are going to watch it and they'll be like, why'd you let this dude do that? And that, and that. So, <laughs> Peer you pressure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I will say, and I get, I get this question a lot from people from the military. They're like, Oh man, Mark, working with actors, all those prima donnas, like they must suck. I've had, I would say 95% positive yeah. experiences. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, the actors, they want to look good, you know? And if you present yourself as a professional that can make them look good, they'll listen to you. Mm -hmm. um, there is one guy, there's one time when I would say like, I had to check someone and be like, hey, shut the fuck up and listen to me. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. It happened. Yep. One yeah. And uh, yeah, I won't name names. Of course was, not. Uh, off the record, we'll, uh, when the camera stops recording, we'll, we'll talk. But I will say uh, he yeah. took very, like, he took this feedback very gracefully and was like, you are absolutely right. I am sorry. But he did have to get checked. Yeah, it's like the stories I hear of uh, stunt coordinators and people who like, you know, play kung fu guys on screen and they they try to test the stunt guy who happens to be like a martial arts expert. And yeah, you know, well, I will <laughs> say, too, you know, in doing what I do um, in the tech advisor world, some of my biggest issues are usually with stunt guys. Because yeah, it's I, you know what? Because I've I've had I've had a lot of big stunt guys on the show and I've worked with stunt guys. They're all nuts. I'm not sure as nuts as you guys are, but nuts nevertheless. And I can imagine those two hitting on a set must be interesting. Well, it's, it's, um, I get it. It's, uh, for me, I don't, I don't have ego. I just want the movie to look good, you know? And I think what it is is a lot of times, you know, when you're a stunt guy, if you're on an action movie, there's not usually a tech advisor on like an action movie. Right. And I've done some action stuff that's like, sci-fi centric like but i still want the people shooting to look right you know for their character or whatever and they'll be like oh man i was in such and such and i was in so and so and i was like all right great man i don't care that look yeah i watched that you looked fucking stupid when you were shooting a rifle so listen to me um but you know for for the most part uh stunt guys are great there's and and stunt coordinators are are always awesome. They all I always have a very yeah. good working relationship with the coordinators. It's it's usually like the guys who have been a stunty for you know a year or two, and they're like, oh man, I know it's the up. ego. Like, the egos, yeah, yeah. I have a friend who was in special forces. I'm like, okay, cool. Like I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> He's not here now, and yeah, like, I am. <laughs> I, I am your the guy that you're saying like told you something like that. I'm the same as them. So like, shut the fuck up and listen to me. <laughs> Yeah, no, stunt coordinators always because they have to be they're they're the leaders. They're the they're the majors, they're the masters of that of that craft. And if they screw up, someone could get hurt or or yeah. die. Yeah. So I yeah. every stunt coordinator I've ever met, they're like they're right on the money all the time, no messing around. But the stunt guys are the hey man, can I jump off that roof? 
I only need you on the fifth floor, but I want to do it off the 20th floor. I could do it off the 20th floor. I'm like, the camera, it, it, I don't need it, but let me try it for my reel. I'm like, no, fifth, fifth floor is fine. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. That's, that's definitely a guy. That's definitely a stunt guy that's been in the business for like less than five years. Right, exactly. And then there's the old guy who's been around 20 years. He's like, I'll do it off the third floor and uh, just move the camera over here like that. Throw the light over there. It's going to look like it's on the 70th floor. Let's go. Exactly. (laughs) Now, what was now during all of your um, your tech advising, what was the most difficult day you've ever had to overcome and how did you overcome it either mentally or either just the day because you know how it is on a set things don't go right things go off things you know the guns didn't show up that day because they get stuck in traffic something like that what was that thing for you i know it's not it's not like a director who's like the entire world's going to come crashing on around you but was there something really difficult that you were able to overcome and how did you overcome it yeah i'd say you know um when i when i tech advised for the outpost um there were just a lot of uh a lot of challenges in that. I, I wouldn't put it to a day, but I th- like the pre-production, you know, it was all Bulgarian crew, you know, doing it in Bulgaria, a lot of, a lot of like additionally doing it with a studio that wasn't used to doing kind of semi-documentary style, like war movie. They're used to doing action. They're not used to doing war, totally different genre, which was kind of hard to explain to them at times. But, you know, there were, there were, producers and even you know studio guys who who really understood that but sometimes things would happen you know um and you'd get just the wrong guns you know or <laughs> uh you know one of the things that happened with that was like the it, it kind of worked differently over there with the crew and the you know the the uh prop master was kind of handling a lot of stuff that like an armorer would handle here. Um, so he was just kind of out of control, like kind of an egomaniac and just didn't order me any ammo for training for the boot camp that the actors had to do. So just getting really creative in in because I had to produce, you know, uh a good end product of these these cast right. members being able to portray professional soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um and you know every step along the way during that process, I was just thrown, uh, you know, thrown resistance because, and I'm not done. At the end of the day, I know that that guy was probably getting told some, by some line producer somewhere, like, they don't need ammo for training. That's dumb. Just save it until the movie. It's going to save us, you know, X number of dollars or whatever. So yeah, it was, it was getting through the pre-production in that, in that movie. Um, in a way that still accomplished the director's intent for what he wanted these, these guys to step on set for day one, um, acting and feeling like, um, and it was, it was, I, I had hardly any gray hair before I started that movie. <laughs> this industry, so this industry will do that to you. Yeah. That movie. I'm, aged I'm 20, year. I'm 22 years old, sir. Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I have to ask you though, man, you mean, obviously you've seen movies over the years, you know, I see that you have Mr. Uh, Colonel, uh, is it Colonel Hicks? A uh, Corporal Hicks, Corporal Hicks behind you uh, from Aliens. Um, you know, obviously Full Metal Jacket is considered one of the classics. What is the best, you know, one of the like best films that you think that really capture what it's like to be in the military? Even if it's a sci-fi movie, they like, they nailed it. Cause I think I've heard Aliens is pretty, pretty bad. Like, Rock on. I love aliens. Uh That's so good. <laughs> my favorite, my favorite movie is Platoon. Oh, I had Oliver, yeah. Um that's re- that's as real as it gets. Yeah, I mean there there are, you know, some technical aspects that are that are weird, but I wasn't in Vietnam also. So um yeah, I think just the how it feels, it just feels just it feels right. You know, it, it the and how they they really captured in platoon they they showed how you never really at least in my experience you never really hate your enemy 
like you hate your chain of command, like you hate your leadership. Um, right, right, right. It, it showed that in a really thoughtful and beautiful way that like, yeah, these people are trying to kill us, but our real enemy is this. And I, I love that about it. It, it also, you know, <clears throat> it showed how many different walks of life people come from in the military, yeah. or, you know, and, and those people's strengths. And like, you know, you have a, you have Chris Taylor, who's a rich college kid. And then you have guys, you know, who are rednecks or who are whoever, and they, you see their strengths and their weaknesses and their, their, their scar tissue from home and their, their fears and their hopes all coming together. And that, and that's what it's like. It, it's, it's, it's a lot less, your, your experiences there are a lot less focused on the enemy and, and the actual fighting as they are in the, in the, in the mundane, in the everyday. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I love platoon. Yeah. It's, uh, I had Oliver on the show and we talked about, I mean, the stories he told on air and off about how he got that thing made is it's, it's insane. It's amazing. Anything, anything that even has a whiff of platoon on it, all all ingest. I've read all his books, like watched every behind the scenes. Like, I, I love that. I love that movie. Oh. Yeah. And I, there was once, I think it was one story that I think it was one of the making ofs of the, that all the, all the actors were like huffing up a hill and they were just dying because he treated them like soldiers. And then he just drove up on a Jeep, just like smoking a cigar and just going to set. Yeah. And they're like, this, he's the freaking general here. This is horrible. Yeah. And he hated, he hated, the, they hated the, the, the command. They hated yeah. I mean, he nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He knew how to do it, man. No question. Now, um, I wanted to ask you also another, uh, about another part of your life where you were on the ground level of Afghanistan when we were, when we were leaving Afghanistan over a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you were like, right there. You were at the gates. You were at the airport. Um, what, what was that like, man? Because all I saw, I mean, we all saw the video, we all saw the, the footage and we saw, you know, people crying and trying to escape, you know, before the Taliban came in. What, what was that like, brother? Yeah, that was, I mean, if, uh, in it, you know, so it, it was, it was so just like, I don't know if irony is the right word, ironic is the right word, whatever, but, you know, I went through, you know, I did all those deployments to Afghanistan. I, I kind of, I came back, I got in the film industry and then, you know, between jobs and stuff, I was just kind of trying to find hustle, you know, side hustles and stuff. So <laughs> I got into, you know, doing a little bit of freelance journalism, writing, writing articles, doing a little bit of stuff. And, you know, I was, you know, presented with the opportunity to go to, to the gate, to the airport, um, during the evacuation. And I thought I was just going to go on a plane, land, watch a bunch of evacuees, get on the plane and fly out. Well, then I got there and I realized like no one was going to keep me from getting off the plane. Like I, I, I anticipated there being military personnel on the ground to like, I was like, shit, I'm going to get off. I'm going to get a better story. You know? <laughs> and, uh, Once you a know, soldier, be- always a soldier. <laughs> yeah. And because of my background and the, you know, the network I have, I was able to kind of get a little bit of a support network there of <clears throat> basically a room to go to and plug my phone in to charge it and, and get a couple hours of rack. And, but it was, it was weird because I, you know, I'd spent years kind of deprogramming myself from the things that like helped me survive there. And then I went back and it was a lot of the experience was a lot more profound and raw, right. Um, gunfire and, and, and things like that were like, oh, that's a big deal. You know, whereas before it was totally within context, it was never something that like raised my hackle or, or got my, my heart rate going because it was in context. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. It's like, I'm in a war. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. But then you go back and you're there with no, no rifle. You're there, you know, as a non-combatant, you, you don't really affect it. The experience just became a lot more profound. Um, mm-hmm. And <clears throat> you're a lot more of a human in that not to say that like i was a subhuman or something like that before but i was there to do a very specific job task so i feelings didn't have a big part in my experience right um but in 
at those gates and just seeing the 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 scale of like human suffering there was like a really big profound time um we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show you know and it took me a little bit of time to unpack that and and kind of like process it and you know i'm healthy with it now but you know i did have as as my time there wore on i was only there about a week but you know, the first couple of days I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm here to get a story. And then, you know, I, as, as you saw probably in the news, like the evacuation thing started to happen. So people figured out I was there and I started getting calls and texts and WhatsApps and signal messages and, you know, hundreds of messages a day. Hey, my interpreter is there. My, my so-and-so is there, whatever. So my, my, my focus shifted from, uh, just journalism to helping pull people through those gates. Um, and yeah, and I, I did that as long as possible. I had, you know, people on the ground there that were still in the military. I was talking to they're like, Hey, you got to get the fuck out of here. You know, you like we're leaving. So you got to go. Um, so I left and I left <clears throat> kind of right in the nick of time, right before, uh, the bombing, that final bombing that happened. I left, um, uh, about a half hour before that. Um, really? So you, you would have been in that area. Oh yeah. That's where I spent you know, 80% of my time that whole week was on that Abbey gate. Um, so yeah, it's, it's crazy, you know, crazy. Wow. It's what movies are made of, you know, and it was everybody, you know, I, I had that long army career, but like, since I've been out, I've been like, Man, what the fuck? I, I'll be, I'll be in <laughs> you have perspective. You have perspective yeah, now. When I have this perspective, I'm like, what the fuck are like, what are you doing, bro? Like, <laughs> This is weird. This is wild. You know, like I'm in so, a like, choose your own adventure book and I'm like, pick the wrong page. Exactly. And, and I mean, God, I mean, so you're, you're helping as many people as you can, but then, you know, obviously you can't help everybody because you're getting bombarded with so many messages and things like that. Um, it was heartbreaking to watch from our perspective. I can't even imagine what it was like from you and for others on the ground there. Yeah, it was, it was, it was rough. It was, it was, it was a, it's one of the worst things I've witnessed in my life. Um, really? Yeah. I, it's, it sucks. I mean, but you know, it, it it's something like I, that uh, being a soldier prepared me for It's like, I, I don't make policy, you know, I just, I can just do the best I can. So. And I saw that picture that you took in the, in the, in that big giant jumbo carrier with like, you know, thousand people or whatever behind you um you know you one of those guys that took i mean you were one of the people that the news was showing that image around constantly i mean you were you were in as they say the shit yeah yeah well i mean literally yeah literally <laughs> well brother i mean i i appreciate you sharing that with us and and uh and doing what you could when you were there man i do appreciate that now uh switching gears uh to uh, another insanity your new film <laughs> That you're working on triple seven. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. You forgot all about that. Uh, <laughs> oh well you, well, you call it. I'm not. I. It is going to be a, doc, a documentary film, but I'm. I'm like. I'm not. I'm not even there yet. Like I'm. My mind's not in that part. Yeah. But yeah. So it's triple seven. Talk to the audience about what triple seven is and what you guys are trying to accomplish with it. Yeah. So triple seven is uh, seven skydives into the seven continents in seven days hopefully um to break a world record um for seven skydives into seven continents uh the current world record is is months long so we're definitely going to break the world record for the skydiving into the seven continents i mean unless i like burn in on continent three or something like that but <laughs> it's uh it's basically we are doing this as i don't want to call it a stunt but we're doing a stunt to raise awareness and funds for a an organization called uh, Folds of Honor. Folds of Honor raises money to give scholarships to gold star kids. So kids whose parents were, were killed in either combat or as a first responder. Um, <clears throat> and the reason that we're, we're kind of constant, there's, you know, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a, a veteran nonprofit these days. Everybody mm-hmm. knows. Um, but the reason we picked Folds of Honor is because, you know, the, the war has been over for a year now and people are already forgetting. And 
you know, if there's a, there's a kid out there right now, who's five years old, whose parent was killed in Afghanistan, you know, for four years ago. Okay. And in, you know, 12 years, whatever, whenever that kid's applying to college, we're definitely going to have forgotten about these wars. So we're trying to, when things are fresh in people's minds, go out, do things that are crazy to raise awareness for this nonprofit so we can put as much money in their bank as possible so that as all these kids, you know, it's in the, it's in the thousands of kids whose parents were killed in these wars. So sure. having funds ready for when they hit, you know, those years that they, they're taken care of. Um, so that's the long and short of, that's the why. Um, and the how is, uh, you know, it's myself, uh, about nine other guys are jumping, um, former uh, Marines, former SEAL team guys, um, former SF guys. Um, yeah, and we're starting in Antarctica on uh, 1 January. And uh, this think, year, this coming up, just January? Yeah, yeah. So about, what is that, about six, seven weeks away? <clears throat> so, so is it is it just because I'm not familiar with Antarctica's weather patterns? Um, January 1st, hot or colder as it goes? Summer. It's summer there, it, yeah. Okay, good. So you did choose that at yeah. least. <laughs> so so when we jump, we jump at, you know, around 13 grand. Uh, it'll be negative 75 at jump altitude. At jump altitude. And then on yeah. the ground, it'll be like Hawaii. <laughs> negative 40-ish. Yeah. And that's, and that's in the summer. Yeah, yeah. So I have to ask, um, were you guys all drunk one night and said, you know what would be fun? Because <laughs> this sounds like a bunch of guys hanging out, shooting pool, drinking and going, you know what we should do, man? We should just do seven continents in seven days and raise some money for some kids, man. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I got brought on a little later, but I, that's probably exactly what happened. <laughs> because this is not a sane idea. It's, it's a fairly, I mean, just to travel alone and the fatigue on the traveling alone. I mean, I know you're being strategic about where you're going in the world, but still it's like, yeah, we'll just drink a lot of coffee, you know, and it'll be fine. Black rifle coffee, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I had to throw that. <laughs> yeah. But it's, uh, it is going to be very, very difficult. And like, that's, that's kind of the point. Um, I think for me and, and one of the things in, in doing, you know, all the social media activations and then the documentary for me, something that's very important to me in, in being a storyteller is inspiring my generation of veteran to realize that like our best days aren't behind us. Like, yeah, those right. were the glory. I call them the glory days too. It was, you know, I did a lot of living, but like we've got so much time left and we've learned so many lessons and we've done. So we put so much in our like, life experience bank. We can't waste that. We have to continue to find ways to serve. And, you know, here at Black Rifle where, Coffee, where I work, that's what we do. We try to go out and inspire veterans, inspire young people to find a purpose, you know, find something that really makes you passionate, makes you want to do things for that thing that suck. You know, I mean, it's like anyone with their art, it's like being a filmmaker, like, you know, getting that first movie across the line as a filmmaker that almost kills people and people go <laughs> work their whole life trying to do that. But that's what's, that's what makes people wake up in the morning is like having a struggle, having a purpose. And for me, this is just a great example of that. Like, yeah, it's crazy, but I mean, no one's going to watch something that ain't crazy. So. Well, I mean, not in today's world. I mean, that's for sure. You got to get, you got to get attention. Well, I mean, I, uh, not only do I appreciate, uh, your service and I thank you for the service as well for all the years, uh, and, and time that you put into your, to defending our country, but what you're doing now is, is really that, that this project seems so wonderful and I'll make sure to promote it as much as I can, uh, through this interview and through all my platforms as well, because it's a wonderful charity of what you're trying to do. And I love insanity. Uh, I, I obviously I do. I've been in the film industry for close to 30 years. So obviously I'm not wired well either, but just not, it's just a different kind of rewiring that is needed than, than, than you. Uh, now I'm going to ask you a few questions. I ask all of my guests, and this is going to be interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see what you say about this. What advice would you give a filmmaker trying to break into the business today coming from your experience? 
coming from my experience, I would give them the advice of, you know, a, to use a, an analogy. Don't Please. be scared. To start, don't like start in the mailroom, right? Like I. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. My first job, I went and shared a hotel room with my buddy because they weren't paying me at first. You know what I mean? You can't, you don't get to skip the line. So drop your ego and start in the mailroom, even if you're not getting paid to be in the mailroom. Like you just got to get your foot in the door and show your value. With all the training you've had over the course of your career, is there any lesson that you can pull out of that that can help filmmakers deal with the industry? Because the industry is so absolutely brutal. Yeah, there, I guess a couple things. One is be an absolute master of the basics. That's, that's, uh, I mean, yeah. that's something I tell people for everything. Um, you know, in the military, in the special operations community, we always said that we don't do anything special. We just absolutely master the basics. Um, that's the first one. And then the second one is like, it's not personal. It's not, it's <laughs> not, it's not show friends, it's show business. So get over yourself and realize it's not personal for, for every time you get your feelings hurt, there's 10 people behind you that won't. So thick skin and, and realize it's, it's not about you, you know? Yeah, I mean, you're breaking hearts all around the world right now, sir. I mean, what do you mean it's not about me and my vision? Come on, Jericho. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh, God, I'm sure you've met a few people along the way. Uh, <laughs> now, what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film industry, in the military, or in life? I guess I <laughs> it would be listening to my own advice. Like, I, 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 I take things too personally. Um, and, you know, <laughs> it, it, yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's it's just realizing that you're a cog in the wheel, you know, and and yeah. you're replaceable. Um, but yeah, I, I think for me, that's the hard. That's been the hardest thing. I, I have to learn it every day, and and not not so much like I get offended. I take it personally, but I just really I care. You know, and sometimes I care too much. It's not about you, is a and you and you could be replaced. That's a really tough lesson. Like, because when you're coming up, you're like, I am irreplaceable. Until you get fired, and you're like, Oh, there was three other people that could do my job. Oh, <laughs> really? Not that special. Mommy lied to me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not a special snowflake. Uh <laughs> yeah, there's two kinds of people: people whose mom told them they're special too much, and people whose moms didn't tell them they're special enough. Right. Exactly. You're absolutely right. There's those are two very specific groups of people and three of your favorite films of all time. Ooh, that's a that's a tough one, because you know how like they always uh, they always change right now. This moment. Yeah. Uh, Platoon. Always going to be number one. Uh, I love the film Big Wednesday. Big Wednesday. I love it. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. John Milius. Yeah, I can't get through that movie with with dry eyes. I, I cry. That's, um, that's a that's a dude movie though. That's like a yeah. That's a, that's a oh oh no! It's, a, it's such a sentimental dude yeah. testosterone film. Oh, it's it's spiritual with the waves and oh man, it's great. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so good. And I I think you know I've been watching Dunkirk a lot lately. Oh just, yeah, and I love the. I've been kind of like working on a project in my own. Uh, creative space that has that you know those parallel stories i just the way they did that and it's also just gorgeous like you can mute that movie and watch it and it's still great you know? it's what's well, christopher nolan i mean yeah. i mean I, I can't wait for oppenheimer i mean i who else gets like 200 million dollars to make a movie about oppenheimer <laughs> like who else is gonna get that no one is really gonna get a move 200 million bucks to go make an oppenheimer and is he shooting it in black and white too i think it's like it's <laughs> Is he? I've seen black and white. I've only seen black and white images of the movie. So, oh, <sighs> <laughs> let Chris do what he does. Come on. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna uh, be. Good. It'll be yeah. yeah. That number three spot. It's it's constant rotation. But I've been watch. I've just been like, you know, you have your rewatchables that come up every now and again. And for me right now, that's Dunkirk. 
Brother Jericho, man, I appreciate you coming on, man. And thank you so much for being so raw and honest about your experiences and, and your story that you're telling and and the good work that you continue to do, uh, not only in Hollywood to make, uh, make these actors and these things look good, uh, but the, the work you're doing with your, your new project and, uh, and charity. So I, I appreciate you, brother. Where can people find out more about you and the, and the 777 and, and where they can donate if they want to? Yeah, so the triple seven, you can find out all about that on uh, legacyexpeditions.net, just as it's spelled. Um, and then um, Jericho Denman, I guess. Instagram's where I'm kind of like the most active. My handle's kind of funny. I made it years ago. It's laid back berserker. Uh, <laughs> as spelled. Oh, that great handle. That's amazing. <laughs> um, laid back berserker. That's all. That's such a. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you know, I'm currently, you know, working now. I'm, uh seen i don't even know my title i make i make uh long form content for black rifle coffee um so you know go on our youtube channel check out our work there we we've done some pretty awesome lifestyle stuff here recently um and then getting ready to start uh kind of a bigger bigger lift on this documentary about the triple seven so yeah all things on youtube black rifle coffee um we have podcasts we do all kinds of stuff and then uh legacyexpeditions.net man you are a busy busy man man your 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 retirement is uh it's not very relaxing sir <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> i i appreciate you again man thank you so much again for doing uh doing everything you've done man i appreciate you thanks a lot for having me on i want to thank jericho so much for coming on the show and sharing his journey with all of us Thank you so much, Jericho. If you want to get links to anything we talked about in this episode, head over to the show notes at IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 641. Thank you again so much for listening, guys. As always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. Stay safe out there, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com.